Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wisdom Worth Knowing live stream podcast. I am your host, Craig Chamberlain, and the topic of discussion picked by the community today is, quote, your value does not decrease based upon someone's inability to see your worth. The subjects are picked based upon the feedback I get from the Facebook page. If you are uh, just now tuning in for the first time, remember, you can actually subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you can actually just follow us on Facebook, our Rumble, or the YouTube channel. You can subscribe there as well. If you go to wisdomworthknowing.org, it will be a gateway to those avenues for subscription. Um, so just check out wisdomworthknowing.org, and that should get you where you need to be on that one. Before we move into the topic, let me throw out there that if you haven't yet checked out Audible, with Audible, listening is the new reading. Audible audiobooks are a great uh, avenue to still listen to those audiobooks that you've been meaning to read. Um, and for a limited time, if you visit audible.wisdomworthknowing.org, you can get a free 30-day trial. Try out a book for free completely. Just pick any book you want from the hundreds of thousands they have. And um, if you don't like it, you have 30 days to cancel and you have no obligation. You haven't paid anything. So check it out, audible.wisdomworthknowing.org. So feel free to join in the discussion here on uh, Facebook. Just hop right in. Um, you can also join in on YouTube. I monitor it during the podcast. And we will move into discussion time after um, we open with the topic and discuss it a little bit on my end. So your value does not decrease based upon someone's inability to see your worth. Now, one thing that is interesting about this is value and worth are mentioned in this sentence twice or in this quote twice. When something is valuable or valued, um, if you consider an object valuable or valued, it's something you have a deep affinity for, something that means a lot to you. And... Um, how much you value something does depend on on the person. Like not everybody values things equally. You know, like you'll talk to people who are fans of cars and there'll be specific cars they value more than other cars or maybe it's uh, music. People value certain music more than other things. And one thing I like about this quote is it does kind of kind of force you to consider what value is. Because you've got value and worth, and it's referring to you as a person, your value and your worth. And I think we all have kind of this this pre-existing definition of what is valuable in a person. And if we don't really stop to consider what we value and in ourselves and in others, I think we can really be on shifting sands in when it comes to self-esteem and self-worth and self-value and self-evaluation. And one thing that this quote does kind of force people into is it, it forces you to face the fact that it's not necessarily healthy to value yourself based upon how other people value you. And, it, and I don't know if I'm communicating that as clearly as I would like to communicate it because that's incredibly important to, to grasp is how much do we value ourselves based upon how others value us? Arguably, determining our self-worth and our self-value based on the opinions and views of others 
is incredibly dangerous. I, I do not think there is a very, very positive or healthy circumstance in which it is appropriate to have our own self-value and our own self-worth be contingent on the value placed on us by other people. And, and the reason I, I say this is because other people don't really know us, you know, in, in most cases. Like, I even me being married for 15 years, you know, I th- there are parts of me that my wife really won't ever understand or know, and that's okay. Uh, but that's because she doesn't live in my head. Like, only I live in my head. You know, only I know where I've been, where I'm going, what I've done. And I and I bring up her because she's obviously the, the the most intimate relationship I have. You know, this would be the person on earth who is who knows me better than anybody else. And I and I believe that's still true. But I don't I still don't believe that's enough, you know, for her to fully know a person or fully know me. And and like I said, that's okay. That's no fault of hers, it's no fault of mine. Um but the danger here is is if we if we are establishing our value based upon others' perceptions, especially the perceptions of loved ones, say a spouse or or a friend, um, or a, a father or a mother, and, and these are the people who who know us really well, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous road to go down because if we don't really stop to take the time to consider the reality that people don't know us enough to value us. It, it, well, I shouldn't say value us, but to to understand us thoroughly, then it is unlikely that they will be able to value us in everything. So I think really we need to draw our own personal self-worth. And, and I agree with this quote you guys picked. We need to draw our own personal self-worth from inside ourselves, not from outside ourselves. You know, our value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see our worth. You know, when somebody treats you badly or poorly, or they they treat you like you're an object, I mean, you people get objectified, not just sexually, but they just, they get used. We get used. That That's just part of being a person. Um, and, then, and then our emotions and feelings aren't considered in that relationship. That's just going to happen. In relationships, there's points in which your friends are going to draw from you more than they're going to pour into you and family and loved ones. But the important thing is, is that we don't let that that negative part of the relationship at that time. And, and we talked about this yesterday, too, but we don't let that affect our own self value. Just because somebody today doesn't value us doesn't mean that we are we are worthless. Right. It just means that that particular person on that particular day in that particular stage of life doesn't see the value in you. Right. <laughs> or maybe you just did something ugly. Like we talked about that yesterday where where you don't you don't want to let the ugliness in others kill the beauty in you. Um, sometimes we can be ugly. And then when we're ugly, people treat us. Worse. So sometimes we can be in, at fault for how people treat us. The significant part is, is we do need to sit down and decide what we, what we, what we define as valuable. Do we determine our self-worth on superficial things like how much money we make? Do we define it based on what we wear? Do we base it on how we look? Do we base it on our character? 
Do we base it on our friendships? Do we base it on our social media status? Um, and I, I do think culturally this is something we all struggle with, and, and it's myself included, because I actually struggled with this this morning. And it sounds silly, but now that I'm, I'm talking about this subject, it, it's making me aware of this. I get obsessed with the numbers on these, on just on podcasts, on videos, and they give you all these metrics and data. And then you get feedback based upon it and you pour yourself into something and then you get the feedback based on a data front. And it's somewhat comical that I'm, I'm catching myself going, determining my self-worth based upon that, right? On, on how well something does that I'm working on. And that's not a healthy way to, to determine self-worth and self-value. You know what I mean? Like on data and metrics. I think social media companies understand this better than most. I think that's like 90% of their marketing strategy in a lot of ways is is people get addicted to. And, and I've been hit. I have a history of this, actually. It was like five years ago to, to 10 years ago. I was I made a really, really popular. I had a huge presence on Google Plus for a long while. And it took a tremendous amount of effort to to build that and cultivate that following. And of course, Google Plus is gone now, which is probably for my own good. I liked the network. I thought it was great. But but it it was very easy to allow the number of likes, the number of feedback, the number of shares determine your self-worth. And if you had a weak day or a weak week, weak, W-E-A-K, weak, um, to have it affect your self-esteem and self-worth. And I, th- I think that's definitely a social media trap and that's how they make their money now it's like you pay for likes you pay for shares you pay for engagement you pay to be liked right like that's so bad (laughs) it's so bad we've got we've got social networks in which people get addicted to this the accolades they receive from complete strangers and 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 we get so depressed and no well no we get so What's the word I'm looking for? Emotionally attached to that positive feedback and addicted to that positive feedback that people are willing to pay for more followers, more likes, and more engagement. And then, of course, it's it's never enough, right? So, like, you'll follow... If you see people on Twitter, like, like celebrities and stuff, they're pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into just that affirmation. You know, the, the positive affirmation. And it's something we need to be aware of. We need to we need to make sure that we are not determining our self-worth based on outside sources. And then how do we do that? How do we cultivate a self-worth outside of outside sources? So it's like, okay, yeah, we talked about that's bad, right? It's bad to, to determine your value based on someone's inability to see your worth. Okay, well, if we don't do it based on someone's ability to see our worth, then what do we base it on? Um, if you haven't studied genetics and DNA, it, it's worth looking at, especially in terms of like in unique individuals. I, I would like to describe this because people don't seem to fully grasp their unique significance in the grand picture of things. And I want to point this out because I, I don't feel like people say it to other people enough. You are a unique human. And I don't just mean that on a religious level. I mean on on every level. 
your experience is completely unique. If you look at twins who are genetically nearly identical, but they're very close. I don't want to say completely identical because I don't know enough about the science, but I do know they're, they're really close. They, turn, they, can, they, they don't turn out the exact same. They do turn out completely different in a lot of cases. So like this idea that we are boring, canned, predictable, useless, not with value, not unique. It's just not true because not only are you unique genetically, but you're unique experientially. Your experience is completely unique. There's nobody who has experienced the things that you have experienced. That experience has value, even though you may not see the value in it. The way you communicate is unique. Your interests are unique. Your friendships and connections are unique. You are a one of a kind. What is the current population here? The current world population. And I, I just, I'm doing this for a reason. 7.9 billion people. Billion with a B. How many zeros is that? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine zeros. 7.9 billion people on the planet. And I can say with 100% confidence, every single one of them is unique. 7.9 billion. Unique experience, unique genetics, unique interests, unique gifts, unique everything. No two people are the same. 37 years old and I still have yet to find out, find two identical people. I find people who are close, but I don't find people who are unique. And I'm pointing this out because we don't sit around and contemplate that enough. It's very easy to feel like you're you're nothing and you are you have nothing to offer or provide. But if you are one in 7.9 billion, just your existence is something of value to provide. Because when a person comes across you, another individual comes across you, they're coming across somebody who is not like anybody else. And that's true 100% of the time. So what we, what we should be doing is sitting down and saying, what am I? Who am I? What, where are, what are my interests? What are my values? What is my character? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What, what is it that makes me unique? And then based upon that, we can, we can cultivate a value of ourselves. And sure, there's plenty of things we do poorly. But even the things we do poorly are unique to us. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't connect with people based on their strengths very often. Generally, you connect with people based on your weaknesses. You generally connect with people based upon shared suffering. You know, it's just, it's like a, it's a human nature thing. I talked about this the other day. It's like a conversation with somebody who's perfect doesn't last very long because conversations with perfect people are kind of boring, right? Because there's not, what do you talk about? How great they are? But suffering, like shared suffering and shared experiences of past suffering are great ways to connect with people because they're unique. You know, and the circumstances surrounding that bad experience are unique. 
And it does offer you some value because you, you made it through it, right? You, or you're making it through it right now. And really, that's real, where humans connect the best is, is through shared effort and, and support. So I think, I think there's a lot of value to that. Like we, we need to really sit down and, and kind of consider where our value comes from, what, where, our, where we stem our value from. And there's some places that are better than others. Now, from a religious perspective, you know, the, this you being unique is consistent with biblical thinking and teaching is, you know, God doesn't, first of all, he doesn't make mistakes. And second of all, you know, he, he intrinsically values each and every person as individuals. And it is literally true that each person is a unique individual and each person, you know, even if you take the, the God element out of it, um, you, you cannot deny the reality that each person has uniqueness that is is not possible to replicate and because it's not possible to replicate it as soon as a human dies that can never be re regained like you can never grasp you can never bring that back that unique experience it's lost forever and so even if you don't believe that god values you and that you are unique and that you have intrinsic value and he sees that even if you don't believe that you can't deny the reality that it is true you know like it is a reality of reality (laughs) you know what i mean you can't escape it so the next time you're feeling down and somebody treats you dirty and or treats you like dirt and you're starting to feel like you have no value because they don't see your worth um, remember that that doesn't actually change the fact and reality that you do have value. Even if other people don't see it, quite often they won't, you know, they don't know your experience. They don't know, you know, maybe in their current stage of experience, you don't have anything to offer them. Maybe you're both just being jerks and you're driving each other insane. And at that, and you're that current moment in your relationship. No, you don't value each other. You take each other for granted. We have a natural tendency to do that anyway. It drives me insane, the taking for granted thing. I think that's why relationships are so hard. Because the novelty, once the novelty wears off and the excitement that binds you wears off, it's very difficult to continue to cultivate that relationship without taking each other for granted. Like we get so addicted to novelty and excitement that it's very it's very difficult to maintain those relationships because we have this really, really ugly built-in process of just taking everyone and everything for granted. And if you don't think that's true, just look around you at all the blessings you have and ask yourself why you don't wake up every morning and wonder how you got so lucky. I'm hard-pressed to say that most people, not everybody, most people are in a really, really, really good situation historically. If you look back at people a hundred years ago and the situations they were in, especially if you're in like a first world country right now, um, and the fact that we don't look around and see how miraculous that is, that that we have that, is just a testimony to how how easily we take things for granted. And it sucks. I hate that because I do it too. We all do it. it. Drives me insane. So why don't I just appreciate what I have? My mom was participating in the chat a couple days ago and she said that humility and gratitude 
you know, are, are, are extremely important. And both of those humility and gratitude are both like elusive, but humility and gratitude are like the cornerstone of experiencing joy and happiness. Humility, because it's like, I don't deserve all of this, no matter how great I think I am. I don't really deserve to have it this good. Most people don't. And that's okay. That's just humility. Don't sit around and hate yourself for it. It's just being aware that you don't deserve it is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's like, wow, I'm so lucky. Because that after you've you've admitted that you don't deserve it, then you move into the reality that you can be grateful for it. Don't devalue yourself because you have it, but you can sit there and you can go, you know what? I am so lucky. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for what I have. And then that at least gives you kind of a, a foundation to be to to build gratitude off of. You know, it's 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 difficult to do. So I am going to move into the discussion time. Appreciate you guys listening up to this point. So feel free to start posting um, in the discussion time on Facebook. Looks like we've already got some posts coming in. We're going to discuss those here in a moment. Um, but before I move into that, that's on Facebook and YouTube, uh, by the way, if you are just now joining and you want to participate in the discussion. Before we move into that, let me tell you about Audible, who is our current sponsor. If you'd like, if you're like me and you love reading or even the idea of reading, but don't have time because you have a partner, kids, full-time job, or crazy time-consuming hobbies, then I have good news for you. With Audible, listening is the new reading. You can pop in your earbuds and play that next exciting adventure or expand your knowledge right from your Android or Apple device. And now for a limited time, you can get your first audiobook completely free. Just visit audible.wisdomworthknowing.org right now and take advantage of a free 30-day trial more than enough time to finish that first book. And if you are dissatisfied, for any reason, you can cancel any time. And remember, it's a 30-day trial that's free. So you can listen to the whole book in that 30 days or less and then decide you don't like it. You know, hey, audiobooks aren't for me. And then you can cancel it. And then you never get charged a penny. That's audible.wisdomworthknowing.org to take advantage of that offer. And um, I always highly recommend you start with a book you've already read that you love. Buddy of mine, when he first actually sent me the Audible audiobook, the first book he sent me, which was my free book, was um, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hysterical. Amazingly well-done audiobook. The, the voice actor in it is just spot-on fantastic. And I actually like the audiobook better than the written book. But pick something that you really love for your first book so you can kind of experience the best of what audiobooks have to offer. Highly recommend it. Check them out. Audible.wisdomworthknowing.org. So we're moving here into the discussion time. Okay, and the quote for today was, Your value does not decrease based upon someone's inability to see your worth. Denise says, good morning. Good morning, Denise. Nina also says, good morning. Good morning, Nina. Thank you for joining us today. Nina says, it takes a long time to even know yourself. I would say it takes a lifetime. It's so bizarre because... As much time as we spend with ourselves, it's amazing how few of us actually know ourselves. You think the people we would know the best would be us, generally speaking. Um, but we put up so many walls <laughs> and personal barriers to like understanding ourselves, it's like ludicrous. Because there's part of myself I bury, bury, very, very, very deep. And there's corners of me that I just don't want to deal with or talk about or address. You know, and 
you know, sometimes it just needs, we just need time to build up the courage to kind of approach those parts of ourselves. But I think the important thing is that we're not, is that we are making some progress. You know, we aim, we aim for progress, not perfection, because we certainly will not ever know ourselves perfectly. Nina says, I lost my husband six years ago and just now am finding me. Well, good for you. Some people go an entire lifetime without ever finding themselves. So that's also, not only is that a courageous thing, but you've dealt with the ultimate separation. You know, the the most intimate relationship you have is, you know, with a spouse or a loved one or in, in a relationship. I mean, family being like secondary to that or a, friend, a really, really deep friendship. And there's, there's a death on both sides when somebody passes. And it's, it takes a lot of time for that wound to heal. And it, it, it doesn't always heal completely. But that's okay, you know, because you can, you can focus on the good things that that relationship had. So good for you that you're still on that. You're moving in that direction. The progress, not perfection, means a lot, especially if you're you're dealing with loss. You gotta give yourself a lot of grace as you kind of work through all that. Um, Peter says, "It's so true. I'm 36 and just starting to find myself." I don't know what it is about youth, <laughs> and it's funny because I'm 37, so I'm pretty much the same age. You know, we're pretty much the same age. I don't know what it is about youth. What it's really super easy to just ignore any self-growth it just you well i think it's because you don't have to really grow up i think that's a big part of it you know most people don't ever have to grow up because others are taking care of them so much and and part of the reason our part of the reason i think we do all struggle growing is because we have it so good you know and we're not really forced into a position where we have to grow like we're at a weird stage i think existentially you to use a big word we're in a weird stage existentially as a culture because you actually have to voluntarily walk into suffering because it's not going to hunt you down and find you in a lot of ways. That's how good so many of us have it. You know, this TikTok culture thing you'll watch and people are like, how do people get so spoiled and so self-obsessed and so narcissistic? You know, where does all that come from? By the way, there's there's good things on all, all those networks too. So I don't want to overgeneralize. But I think a lot of that just spawns from like how lucky they were, you know, how how... I don't know if you should really consider them lucky because they never had to cultivate any any self-knowledge or self-awareness or self-strength. But things are things are going so well for people that they can spend all of their days every day completely ignoring their weaknesses. And they will still get taken care of. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I get I get the desire, like, for example, for a parent to not want their kids to experience any suffering because I have kids. I get the desire for them never to experience suffering. But if they never experience suffering, they will never grow. <laughs> like, I don't grow when I'm not suffering. I just don't. And then when you see, like, 35-somethings or 36-year-old-somethings on TikTok or YouTube and it's clear that they never, you know, passed the, the teenage mentality, it's like, well, this is just... This isn't an evil person. This is just a person who is never really forced to to grow up. You know, there was their life 
the life surrounding them was so good that they were never forced into position to cultivate the character that comes from pain. And so it is what it is. And those people have probably existed at all times and places. It's not just in our culture. I mean, the well-off and well-to-do, you know, the ultra-wealthy, for example, who have kids who inherited all the wealth and they never had to work for it. Like, it's a time-old tale, you know. It's, it's gone back since people have existed. And generally, it, you know, if you, if you actually listen, one of the, my favorite quotes in the Bible is because you can really meditate on it forever is when Christ said, you know, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God you know, it's easier to, what is it? The eye of the needle. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote him. Uh, rich to enter kingdom of heaven. The eye of a needle. I just want to make sure I say it correctly. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, and the kingdom of heaven can also mean just life in general. Of course, the kingdom of heaven, literally, but life on earth in general. And he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you can really meditate on that for like ever, because the I, I think a lot of that is about that comfort zone. You know, when things are going so perfectly well for us, we just don't grow. And if things have always been well for us all the time and we've never struggled ever, why would we ever need, first of all, Savior? Why would we ever need character? Why would we ever need growth? Our money can take care of us. Our family can take care of us. We, we just don't need those things. And so I think what he's alluding to is the, the extreme wealth can be a trap. You know, it can keep us from growing. And then if, if we have no suffering, then we have no need for God and we have no need for that relationship. And I, I believe that's, I'm not, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I believe in a lot of ways that's what he was saying. It's kind of fascinating going back and reading, you know, the things Christ said, because I still, you know, I'm a late Christian. Like I was a skeptic all the way up to my early 20s and actually went out to disprove Christianity was, was kind of my backstory there. Because I wanted to prove that it was noble, but it wasn't the truth. The problem is, is when I actually started honestly pursuing it, everything that he taught, and I don't mean the people in the church, don't get me wrong, I don't, I definitely value and appreciate church for for a lot of reasons. But when I actually looked at the, the things that Christ himself taught, it really just boomeranged my, me in the face over and over and over again. Like the things he said ended up being true and still to this day, I'm like, that's what he was talking about. Oh, that's what he was talking about. That happens to me all the time. Like, I didn't understand what he was saying was, was my biggest problem. And then, like, once I kind of paid a lot of attention and, and tried to disprove it, I'm like, you know what he said is kind of true. <laughs> so Nina says, we all need positive strokes. Yep, it does help to surround ourselves with people who are going to be conducive to our growth. One of my favorite quotes there is actually, I heard it from Candace Owens. I don't know if it's her quote, but she said, you become the net average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think that's true. I mean, I'm not saying you don't avoid people. I'm not saying you avoid all the people who aren't necessarily the best for you. But the question is, who do you spend the most time with? And it's generally best to spend the most time with people who help you average up. 
And then you reach out to people to help them average up. But you can't pour over into people if you're if you're surrounded by people who suck you dry all the time. You cannot that's not sustainable. You gotta find a balance there, I think. Peter says, self doubt is a mind killer. Yeah, and it's also kind of counterproductive. Like self doubt kind of is if you really kind of sit down and think about it, it's just a waste of time and energy. We doubt ourselves because we don't have any confidence. We don't have any confidence because we've never done it. We've never done it because we have self-doubt. And we have self-doubt because we have, don't have any confidence. We don't have any confidence because we've never done it. And we've never done it because we have self-doubt. We have self-doubt because we don't have confidence. <laughs> we don't have confidence because we've never done it. <laughs> and, the, and the circle goes on forever. And, and you gotta, you got to disrupt the cycle, right? You got Okay, so one thing you do have control over in that equation is... We've never done it, and we don't have any experience. So the only way to escape self-doubt is to start doing it. We've never done it, so start doing it, and then you'll have experience, and then you'll have experience to bank on, and then once you bank on that experience, the self-doubt will start to melt away. This has always been, it's been universally true for me my whole life. The things I fear the most are just the things I have no experience in. The things I doubt myself in the most are the ones I just, I've never done. So just, all you can do is walk into it and fail, which you will. But now you've failed with experience. And then you'll walk into a second time with a little experience, and then you'll fail again. And then you'll walk into it a third time with more experience, and you'll fail again. And you may do it a hundred times or a million times, but over time, the doubt will melt away. But we only we can break that cycle. We have to have the courage. Ironically, we think doubt is a weakness. It's just it's just a result of inexperience, but we think it's a weakness. But when we, when we are doing something at our highest level of self-doubt, that is the most courageous thing we can do. When something is extraordinarily scary for us and we're doing it, we're doubting everything that we're doing, we're actually at our most courageous, <laughs> even though we don't feel like we're at our most courageous. Nina says, dependent, I am enough. And I, I think you are alluding to codependency here. And I think part of this quote is your value. If you are a person who, and this is something worth researching, there's a, there's a great book out there called Codependent No More. It's a great book. Um, if you are the person who's the opposite of this quote, like the quote says, your value does not decrease based upon someone's inability to see your worth. If you're the kind of person who believes that your value does increase based upon someone's ability to see your worth, look up codependency because you you are likely or or you have a tendency to be codependent. And we all have it, and that's fine. Being aware of it's important, though. We can make a lot of very, very, very bad decisions when we're making them based upon what other people think or see us as. Um, and codependency can be, can be topic, can be toxic, very toxic. I don't think all codependency is bad. I think as human beings, we do depend on each other and that's okay. Um, but when we, our self-esteem is wrapped up in it, I think that that's when it starts to become dangerous and our self-worth is wrapped up in it. When you when we when we say things like watch your language too when you say things like I could not live without this person 
or I can't live if this person makes this decision or I couldn't live if this person didn't love me or doesn't like me. That means our complete self-value and self-worth is intrinsically tied to another person. And that's, that's not necessarily good. And I think we all do have this to a varying degree. You know, like if somebody's really close to us, like we, we can't imagine, you can say things like, I can't imagine living without that person or without that person's approval. At least that way you're admitting that even though you can't imagine it, you can still, you, you would have to work through it. But when, when you're, when you're absolutist about it saying literally, no, like if this person wasn't here, I, I would die, like literally die. Or if this person didn't approve of me, I would literally die. I think, I think your language is different there. So codependency is, it's a real thing. Uh, Another downside of codependency is you don't, if you're in a codependent relationship and their, their constant approval is required for you, you to have self-esteem and self-worth, you will not be honest with that person. You will not take risks. You will not say or do things that will potentially damage the relationship. It'll turn you into a liar. I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I've done I've done this. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But it's a lot harder to be honest with somebody who, if you think they don't like you, you you can't function. So Codependent No More, great book. Check that out if you think you're I think we're all struggling with. I think everybody and every human should read it. It's one of those types of things. Tanya says, good morning. Just wanted to stop by and say hi. Good morning, Tanya. Thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. She says, I am my own worst critic. Darn it. Aren't we all? It's because we know ourselves better than anybody else. Great topic. We know ourselves so intimately that we hate ourselves. There, there's a uh, there's a section in Jordan Peterson's 12 Rule, Rules for Life book. It says, why don't you just take your damn pills? Pardon the French, but... But there's a, there's a section in there that I, I, I laughed out loud, that whole chapter... But he talks about the statistics about how we are more likely as humans to take better care. And if, if we are prescribed medicine to, that's life-saving and our dogs are prescribed and cats are prescribed medicine that's life-saving, we are statistically far more likely to make sure our cats and dogs take their medicine than we do. This is how much we hate ourselves. That, I think the, the rule on that one is treat yourself like someone you care about. I think that's the rule. Because we are far more likely to take better care of other people and even our animals than we are of ourselves. That is how much we hate ourselves. Because we know ourselves so well. It's very easy to get down on ourselves. So we are our own worst enemy and worst critic. Eddie says, man, you are on point. I appreciate that feedback. Denise says, I'll be 60 and just found myself. Good for you. You at least are, you're getting there. Like I said, a lot of people, they never, ever, ever, ever get there. Tony says, I'm still trying to regroup from my son's leaving to go with the family. Telling me I need to get my mind straight. My mind right. Yeah. We all have, we are experiencing different types of losses at different levels. Um, yesterday's, yesterday's podcast should help a lot with that. Like that experience death. Like I think we all experience death on different levels. The death and, but now you're in a resurrection stage. Like when you say something like, I'm trying to regroup, that means you are making efforts into figuring out what your new normal looks like. 
I, I knew that. I, I know that that phrase has kind of been hijacked. But new normal is is something that we all like. If we get a separation in our lives, like somebody said earlier, they lost a wife or a spouse. Um, if if the rugs pulled out from under us and we're suddenly thrown into chaos, it does take a tremendous amount of time to like rebuild a foundation there, you know. And I, I, that's it happens several times throughout everybody's life. For some people, if you have anxiety and depression and you're trapped in a lot of that, it feels like your life falls apart every day. And so kind of like re, re, cult, re establishing stability amidst a, especially if something was part of your routine every day and then suddenly it's just not there, you know, like adapting to the new normal is a process and it doesn't just happen overnight. You have to cultivate new habits, new hobbies, fill in that time with other things, other people. That just takes time. Tanya says, I was hoping we could all get a good LOL together, <laughs> but it looks like that's a no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking about that this morning. It's like, I don't know how many people are going to volunteer. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think um, a lot of people are going to voluntarily walk into a lot of this. It's like, we, we, we're talking about pretty heavy topics here. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be a lot of LOL moments here. Paige says, I had to learn this about my mom, I valued what she taught, thought most. I thought, how can I be valuable and worthy my, if my own mom hates me? Um, turns out she's a narc and held me back on purpose. You gotta be care- we got to be careful there, too, when, when we, we do. And, but that's true. It's, it's a real, narcissism is a real condition. And it's good that you identified. Um, you identified that that was not healthy. And a lot of people in those relationships never do. Um all you can really do with people who are struggling with like things like narcissism and guilt trips and hammering, all you can really try to do is set healthy boundaries with them. And I highly recommend the book boundaries and the book, keep your love on. Um, it's just, it, all you can do is try to set boundaries. And if they are incapable of respecting or appreciating those boundaries, then, then I think, you really don't have much of a choice but to remove yourself at least for a time until a healthy relationship can be cultivated. And just, you have to communicate that to them. Say, Hey, we are not in a healthy relationship. Like you are not respecting my boundaries and and I love you and I care about you. But I think if, if we are ever going to have a healthy relationship moving forward, then we need, I need you to respect this boundary that I'm setting because I think it, I think it continues to make our relationship toxic and then it's on them, right? Like you've, you've, you've set the boundary and then they get to choose whether they're going to cross it or not, you know? And then if they do on sadly, and then a lot of people do cross the boundary, you just got to hold, hold the line. Don't cave no matter what they say or do hold the line. Say, no, this isn't, I, it's easy for me to say because I know it's a lot easier said than done, but it, it's it's okay to tell people this does not make me comfortable. This feels abusive. I feel like I'm being manipulated. Please stop because I want to have a good relationship with you. And if you keep doing this, I can't. You're You're making it impossible for me. I think it's okay to say that 
like I said, I'm not a clinical psychologist or a clinical therapist. And, and if you got to talk to a professional or a group or a therapist to figure out how, what the right way to say that is, then yeah, do it, do what you got to do, especially if you value that relationship and you don't want to lose it forever. But people will do what they do. You can set those boundaries and they can just burn right over them. And then all you can say is, hey, I warned you. And this sucks. And if you want to try again in the future, let me know. But until then, I think it's probably best if we spend less time around each other. For both of our sakes. Because it ain't good for them either. To be able to constantly steamroll over people. If they're doing it to you, they're doing it to everybody else. And you may be the only person in their lives who tells them, listen, this ain't cool. This is not cool. You may be the only one who loves them enough to set that boundary so that they can maybe hopefully learn that's not okay. Wow, we went long today. Thank you all for your wonderful comments. I very much appreciate you stopping by. You're listening to the Wisdom Worth Knowing podcast. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube and Facebook and Rumble. And uh, broadcast live every day, normally at 6 a.m. It's Sunday, so I actually pushed it back to 9. I needed some sleep. Uh, So I may do Sundays later in the day all the time. Um, But if you want to uh, subscribe, please go to wisdomworthknowing.org. You can also donate there if you like the show and you think it's helpful and beneficial. Right now, I kind of fund it myself. It would be great if we could crowdfund it at some point, but no pressure there. Totally fine. I enjoy it. Um, Don't forget to swing by audible.wisdomworthknowing.org if you want a free month of Audible. And until next time, remember, your value does not decrease based on someone's inability to see your worth. So let's go ahead and move into our Sunday trying to be the best version of ourselves we can be, because that's pretty much all we can do. Um, So until next time, have a great day. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and would like to support the Wisdom Worth Knowing podcast, simply visit wisdomworthknowing.org and become a patron for as little as $1 per month. You can also donate. If you think friends, family, or loved ones would find this podcast helpful, please consider sharing it with them. Thank you, and have a blessed day.